Welcome to the Buckaroo Marketing New Media Podcast, your resource for B2B marketing for manufacturing and related industries. You create unrivaled products and services. We tell your story. Now on to the show. Welcome to Buckaroo TV. My name is Deb Daly and I'm your host and co-founder of Buckaroo Marketing New Media. Today I have a wonderful guest with us, Emily Bean, and she is the relationship manager for commercial banking with Stockyards Bank and Trust. Good morning, Emily. Good morning, Deb. Thank you for having me today. Oh, great to see you. So why don't we uh, get started and kick this off a little bit. Maybe just tell me a little bit about yourself and your background. Um, yeah, we'll start sure. there. Um, I've been in the business for 19 years. So in college, I majored in marketing and business and I minored in psych. So I was like, I like numbers and people. Let me see what banking's like. So I've been doing this ever since. Um, I came into the retail management training program right out of college. Um, so I lived the branch life for four years, um, managed a few branches. And then in 2005, I worked and moved to business banking. When I started working more with business and commercial clients and I worked for a large regional bank for about 10 years and then I worked for a small community bank about six years and I've been at Stockyards for three and a half and I say that I've found my Goldilocks so to speak. I've worked really big and I've worked really small so this is um, seems like the perfect fit for me and it's a good balance. Okay I love the analogy you know Bed's too big, too soft, too hard, and this one's just right. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, now, obviously, you've been in the industry a long time. Uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about Stockyards Bank and Trust? Sure. Um, Stockyards began in 1904 in the actual stockyard in Louisville, Kentucky. So um, to my knowledge, we do not do livestock lending today, but that's where the bank got started um, in 1904. So it has a long, rich history. Um, had one branch basically up until 1985 when um, we began to expand in the Louisville markets. And we're also in Cincinnati and we moved to Indianapolis, started establishing here in the early 2000s. So we have five branches here in the Indianapolis um, metro area and continually looking to expand. We're basically covering all sides of the city. So okay. we are a full service um, community bank. Um, we are, I would say higher $3 billion. The PPP helped cross us over to the $4 billion range, and we have um, over $3 billion in assets on our wealth and um, trust and management side as well. Okay. So I'm in the commercial um, and industrial area. We also service, we have business banking, private banking, wealth management, um, treasury management, credit cards, SBA, um, international leasing. So we pretty much can run the whole gamut of any um, banking service that a customer would need. Okay. Okay. Is there any type of customer or situation that is not a good fit for you? Um, I think that's the beauty of a community bank. We do not have, um, I guess, silos where we're saying we do not talk to this type of business or we do not um, you know, really prospect this kind of um, client. We really are open-minded to all situations, which makes my job fun because I'm not just working with one type of industry. Um, so we really are open-minded 
and um, can really look at a situation from all angles. So I think there's quite a bit of gray um, in the community banking world, which I really appreciate. Okay. Okay. So why don't you tell me about some of the challenges, uh, maybe normal challenges that a lot of, you know, your clients have pre and post COVID. Sure. Um, I would say, obviously, the current environment we're living brings a whole new set of challenges, but kind of pre-COVID, um, some of the, I guess, common um, challenges that some of my clients were facing was really just managing the ebbs and flows of revenue. It seemed like more than ever that it was kind of a feast or famine situation with a lot of clients. They would have a lot of work or there was a lot of downtime. So I think it's really just managing through that process and also keeping an eye out for diversification opportunities. I think um, sometimes clients and um, me included as a banker, you know, you re you um, kind of rely on a few big clients or you know if you have your core of 10 clients you expect what they're going to be giving you year over year and you really get comfortable there and you don't really want to um go out to um, look for new business opportunities so i think that's um some of the challenges or maybe opportunities that my clients have i think some other common ones I, as i was thinking through this um, manufacturers and also specifically when to invest in CapEx or new people. You know, when you have new opportunities, it really takes um, kind of an analysis to go through. If I invest in a piece of equipment, is it going to pay off? You know, and how long is that going to take? And that's true with equipment or people or just really investment in any type of capital. So those are things that I feel like businesses kind of have to continually um, really hone in on and focus on. And I, I know customers are really running their business day to day. So sometimes that gets put to the back burner, but I think it's really important to focus on. Um, also, I think really um, knowing when to delegate. <laughs> um, as business owners, I know a lot of times it's, you know, the ba their baby. And it's really hard to um, rely on other people. But as you grow and um, diversify, it really takes a whole team. So. Um, I think it's also um, recently, as we're talking um, a little bit more about COVID, um, supply chain disruptions. We saw this a little bit pre-COVID, mm -hmm. um, but we're starting to see this more um, now that we're in this situation, especially for clients that are relying on products from overseas. It's um, They'll get no, no shipment or they'll get 20 times what they needed, you know, but really you're at the mercy of what you can get. So right. it's managing that supply chain and what kind of product you have and how much you have to keep. Do I have to have six months worth of product now where I used to only wanted to keep eight weeks worth? And it's kind of managing through that. Some of the um, COVID um, disruptions that we're seeing really affect manufacturers. So, um, as a partner, a banking partner to your customers, tell me how that you, how do you work with them to help them through that? Um, I think again, um, we don't really treat clients as one size fits all. So we delve in with the client, you know, what's going on, who's the supplier and, you know, we'll have weekly plus conversations about what maybe inventory levels look like. And at times, you know, we're able to um, maybe increase 
the capital that we're able to give them based on inventory, you know, where they used to not have the inventory level, but we're able to give them maybe a little bit more working capital with the increased inventory levels that they're experiencing during this time. Because we know that the inventory is going to be turned, but the times may just be a little bit longer. So we're, we're flexible and nimble with that. Okay. So, um, there's, there's, uh, you know, a lot of times as business owners, we have, you know, a line of credit or so you, you, you're, you know, I even saw one bank where they were like, Hey, we'll give you a grace period to cover bounce checks. And I thought that was kind of bizarre. I'm thinking mm-hmm. if, if I'm bouncing a check, it seems like I've got a little bit more of a problem than just 24 hours, but All right. maybe that's not correct in my thinking. Um, and I think as far as with the, um, it's kind of the same on the consumer side as what you're referring to. You know, maybe you have a deposit or you typically get paid every Thursday and your bank can see that and maybe the check bounced on Wednesday, but they know you're going to get paid on Thursday. I think that's providing the grace. And I think um, banks got get quite a bit of heat when someone, you know, makes maybe a dollar purchase on their debit card at a gas station or convenience store, and then they get charged with a 33, 36, whatever fee it is. So I think that you're starting to see more of those programs just because of the reform that's gone on in the banking. Um, going back to the inventory, let's say a client um, typically only kept, you know, $100,000 worth of inventory on the books and they have to increase that to 200. Then we would try to be nimble with them and provide them a little bit larger advance on their line of credit or something to cover that extra inventory, knowing that they have a contract with their client that that's eventually going to be unloaded. So it's just situations like that, again, where it's not one size fits all and you really have to know the client and their clients and their supply base. Yeah. And it looks like you're not, you know, you're not, it's not black and white. You understand that there's a huge ocean of gray. And within that, you have, you know, 50 million different forms of life in that ocean and and every, every piece has a different need. Correct. Exactly. Now, one of the things you mentioned earlier, you know, is that you see with customers as far as uh, diversifying uh, their operations or their client base. Um, Now, obviously, as a bank, I mean, I'm assuming you're always doing that. Um, But how do you how do you help your clients do that? Um, I think Again, it's just um, being a consultant to the client and working through that if they have an opportunity with the new client, what does that look like as possibly do they need new equipment or would they need to invest in um, new people and how we could help them get to that point. But you also have to delve into, it's not just about getting the client to increase the top line. You really have to do some number evaluation to see if it makes sense. You know, the margin may not make sense on a large new client. So, um, you know, I get, I try to meet with my clients at least quarterly to review their numbers and see what's happened quarter over quarter or looking at maybe not just the last 12 months, but like a trailing 12 months and really um, digging into, um, you know, margin and returns. So I feel like more of just not just being there an order taker. Okay, you have a new client possibility, but you're going to have to buy a new laser cutter or what have you. But what's that impact 
um, short term and long term on your margin and doesn't make sense um, to onboard a client for maybe you only have you're only going to get a couple more orders and there's it's not guaranteed. So I think just providing more of maybe a financial um, avenue and kind of input if the client asks <laughs> for what that that impact could be. Right. And I think that's huge because like you said, you're not an order taker. Um, you know, I'm sure that in, in looking at whether something is financially feasible or if it makes sense, I'm sure you're there to help them to make sure that they're not, you know, spending an astronomical amount in another area when they don't have to, uh, sure. you know, so to the, the cost containment and everything balancing that back and forth. Um, you also mentioned supplier chain disruption and you're seeing more and more of that other than I guess, you know, shipments could be small or large and you're kind of at the mercy of what comes in. Um, are you seeing any other odd things as far as in the supply chain where, I mean, either just, particular link in that chain just, you know, dissolves and then you have to regroup or? Um, I had a client experience, um, which was a little unique and we worked through it, but I think it's becoming more um, relevant as um, castings, you know, and where you're getting metal for boundaries and what have you. Um, I guess there was quite a bit of consolidation in that industry probably 18 to 24 months ago. So um, really you only had a few places you could get product from. So, um, and that was what was causing um, if they got a shipment of, or they were waiting on a shipment of nothing and then they would get 24 large pieces of inventory or, you know, metal that they had to hold for a longer period of time. So I think it's, um, I think, the clients clients my clients clients were becoming more um in tune with that and were helping push back a little bit on those um suppliers so i think you're gonna have um the larger clients of the world um that mostly my clients work with help kind of break i mean brace that chain or help kind of you know make it flow a little bit easier so I've seen a lot more client intervention with supply chain issues than I used to. So, okay. Well, and that's a good thing. I mean, I think that a lot of positives come out of adversity and that's obviously certainly we're definitely in a situation of adversity. Um, so one of the things that you talked about was when uh, we've talked about this previously, as far as being relationship oriented and you know, with all due respect, I haven't met any banker or business who says, who doesn't say that they're relationship oriented. Um, you know, so can you give me a tangible example or examples of how that plays out in your world? Sure. I think um, the best example we had just happened um, with the administering of the Paycheck Protection Program with the PPP. I um, think this relationship piece really came to light for a lot of clients and a lot of non-clients for us um, during this process. So this is probably my best example. Um, for the PPP, um, the SBA and the government relied on the banks to administer this program. <laughs> We're like, surprise! Um, the clients really needed um, a go-to person, an advocate, and I would say 
a lot of clients get comfortable using technology, um, using the drive-through, using the ATM, using an app, and not really having a person, a live person. And I think that that um, piece of the puzzle was really important to get through this process. So I feel like the clients um, that needed, I mean, a lot of them were waiting in portals at places and not ever having a live update from a person. So um, I think that that really was um, really important for clients and they realized it too, um, to know that they needed a person to help advocate on that behalf. And I will say that a lot of clients, unfortunately, not our clients, but a lot of small businesses and commercial customers were left out of the initial first round. You know, that money went like that. And I'm happy to say that we got all of our clients done the first round. Um, but I think a lot of um, larger institutions weren't nimble enough um, to handle the guidance change daily, sometimes twice a day, leading up to the rollout of the PPP. Wow. And um, I kind of compare it to a ship. So the smaller the ship and the better the captain you can turn, you know, with um, the changing tide. And some of the larger ships, unfortunately, just um, waited a little bit too long and some of their clients were left out. So I'm happy to say that we picked up a lot of non-clients or a lot of what we call them prospects in the second round because we were able to help them um, get through the process as well. So that was really good um, to be able to um, help some non-customers through that process. We did um, all in all about um, 700 million plus dollars of PPP for about, and we did about 3,800 loans. So that was really good for an institution our size and with our employee base. So yeah. I think also, as we talked um, about before, not related to PPP is just, um, we treat each one of my clients has a different setup as far as banking goes and as far as what their line of credit and kind of advance looks like. So we um, structure each client relationship a little bit different, um, you know, based on their revenue cycle, based on the terms that they have as far as accounts receivable. Um, so really approaching clients is not a one size fits all and really um, approaching it with what works best for their business. So I'm really, um, and again, that's what um, working at a community bank allows you to do um, is to kind of be nimble and structure with what's going to fit the client. That sounds great. Um, you know, you've mentioned differences between large banks, community banks. Um, you know, for some of our listeners, they may not be, you know, familiar. They may say uh, it's a bank is a bank, right? It's just a bank. They're all the same. Can you maybe tell me? Or is there a, a way that you can shed some light on the differences? Um, I would say um, the biggest difference that I've noticed in community bank is really, um, and you, as you think through your business cycle, credit's really key. You know, being able to have capital and access to loans and credit um, is really the driving force a lot of, for a lot of clients you know, as they grow and expand. And I would say the approach to the credit process is um, very important. So I just feel as, because I work for a large bank, um, working for community banks, we still have um, committees, loan committees. So you aren't um, 
putting the package together and shipping it to a central credit hub three states away, um, you know, for maybe someone that's never heard of Plainfield, Indiana, or what have you, or not really know what the area looks like, what the market looks like. So I feel like um, our prop credit process is just one of the separations, not just looking at size, you know, revenue bank base, if it's billions of dollars banks versus it's more about, I would say, with the credit process and just any other internal processes being able to um, modify those quickly as needed. So we still have a committee where I take credit, you know, when I'm looking at onboarding a new client or expanding the relationship with an existing client, I go advocate for my client and present the loan to, you know, the committee. So the committee is in, in like an underwriting team, right? Right. It's basically um, our, you know, bank president, our chief lending officer, our chief credit officer. So they're, you know, they're the folks that um, help make the decision. But I also like being able to pick up the phone and call them directly <laughs> and not have to go through some, you know, 1-800 tier or what have you. So that's just, I mean, I feel like that's the endearing part of being in a community bank setting. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really huge having that personal access and personal touch, um, you know, cause you and I have talked and experienced, you know, just being a number or, I mean, you can tell when you become a number or you can tell if someone just doesn't give a hoot about, you or your right. and it doesn't feel good you know mm -hmm. it, it really doesn't and um having that personal touch and understanding um you know that you really try and partner with your clients in the truest sense of the word as far as partnering to help them grow not just as a you know a money source if you will sure mm -hmm. yes um is there anything else that you'd like to add for today? Is there anything that we haven't covered? Um, I think that um, really I'm open to having a discussion with anybody, whether they're a client or non-client. And if anybody has any questions or anything I can answer, maybe how would we approach it? Um, you know, I'm open to having that discussion. Um, I feel like more than ever, um, again, you need a personal um, relationship, a partner in banking, um, and to know who, who's advocating on your behalf. So, um, I went through, obviously I was in banking in the 2008, 2009 area, you know, we saw a little bit of a down, obviously the recession and we're not sure right now. There's a lot of questions. Um, you know, is it, are we in a recession? Are we going to have a recession? And we have the election. So I feel like as um, clients may be feeling uneasy with where they're at currently, um, sometimes larger institutions get tunnel vision, as you said earlier, what types of clients do you not want to deal with or work with or what have you. I feel like we may start seeing some of that again. Or if clients have had a tough six months, maybe for some unexplained reason, um, but you know, overall they've had a great past five years or you know, they've been in business for 25 plus years. Um, I feel like we, um, we could be a possible, um, option for those types of clients, you know, we could work through it. And, um, really, again, I approach it that a quick knows better than a long drawn out one. So I'm pretty, you know, I've been in the industry long enough that I know kind of red flags or what, you know, maybe he's not going to work for us, but I feel like, um, 
we really try to help our clients because it's really in the best interest for the bank to keep the business's doors open just as much as it is the business owners and it also really helps our communities as you see um, as you know keeping doors open to restaurants and different things during this time is important for our communities um, viability as well so sure absolutely and that's a great point because I know that uh, we had various clients in that 2000 eight, nine, and they're like, okay, we got to find a new bank because our bank just panicked and said, okay, you know, we're yanking you, we're closing the doors. And you're like, really? Mm -hmm. <laughs> We've been here for 25 years, never had a blip. And then all of a sudden, you know, somebody just kind of has a freak out moment, if you will. Um, so if and we grew during the recession, we grew our loan balances. So that's really a testament to kind of how Stockyards Bank approaches, um, you know, new clients and our existing clients. Yeah, so is unusual and very special. Um, if our listeners want to reach out to you, um, what's the best way to reach you? Um, well, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, they can also email me. Um, it's, I don't know if you're going to be putting the communication, but it's my Emily, E-M-I-L-Y dot bean, B-I-E-H-N at S-Y-B dot com. They can also call me um, at 317-238-2824. And um, I'm typically respond within 24 hours and be happy. I mean, we've had a lot of Zoom meetings. Some clients are comfortable meeting in you know, person or whatever's comfortable for them, conference call, whatever works. But just to run things by me, um, you know, or see if we can help in any way we can. Sure, or masks and temperature. Right, exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you're there regardless. Right. Well, we've worked this whole time. <laughs> So no shutdown in the banking industry. So oh, there you go. Well, you know, I appreciate all your help and, um, you know, enlightening uh, the differences and helping people understand um, the essence of community, really. And you guys really embody and embrace that whole sense and soul of community and helping uh, develop and maintain those relationships. So um, appreciate your feedback and sharing today. To our audience, thanks for tuning in. Um, we appreciate you joining us. If you have any questions or thoughts, please feel free to reach out to us. Um, note that um, we'd love to have you subscribe to Buckaroo TV if you've enjoyed our show. We also have it in podcast format, and we have that posted as well. So if you're having some windshield time and, and you want to fill it, uh, that way you don't have to worry about driving and watching a video at the same time. So anyway... Thanks so much. And Emily, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Buckaroo Marketing New Media Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about B2B marketing for manufacturing and related industries, please visit us at gobuckaroo.com.